Well, Saturday night, how are you? <laughs> I am so proud of you for coming out. I thought I'd be the only one here. You know, it's kind of like when it rains in Southern California. Everyone's like, I'm not going out. It's raining out there. I, I've never been in the rain before. I don't know. Uh, so I thought, but look at you. You're, uh, you're here. Uh, anyone live in Woodland Hills here? Yeah. How, how hot did it get over there? Uh, 111, that's it? I'm disappointed in you. Uh, I was driving to, to, to the office about, uh, what, 3.30, and coming up, like, right as I passed Kuna, Simi Valley, it was 110 coming up there, and I've never seen it that hot in Simi Valley. So I thought, I thought Woodland Hills would be like 120. I'm just, I'm like, it's so, so, I got here and someone said it was a high of 105 in Palm Desert. I'm like, is that all you got? I mean, I'm like, serious, like, we are taking over here, right? That's right. Um, hey, by the way, uh, back sound guys, we never talked about how long a time to give me tonight. So give me a 30-minute clock, I'll go over, but you know, uh, just give me 30 so, uh, so I know what to do. Uh, they normally give me 50, and I go, that's, you know, hours close enough. Um, so uh, anyway, we're going to go into our time of teaching. My name's Michael. If it's, if it's your very first time, I want to welcome you here. Just so glad you're here, but inside your uh, your program is a green and white message note sheet. You'll definitely want to take that out, and we're going to jump in. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here. It seems like with each passing week, it's almost like the excitement's mounting. We're just, we're just getting to come to expect that you're going to be here, and I think, Lord, we're experiencing you more and more in our weeks as we learn to listen and follow you. You're transforming our lives as we come in with expectation. We come in with stories of changed lives. We come in with... Um, sensing the leading of your spirit. And so, God, as we come today, as we continue uh, this series, kind of wrap up this first segment of the series, we pray that you'll be with us. I pray you'd speak loud and clear, open our eyes to some new things. Um, be with me. May my thoughts uh, and words be clear. For us as a church, may we gather around your word and hear what the spirit would say to us as your church. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, he never thought he would be here And honestly, he's kind of shocked as he looks at the four walls of his cell. I mean, he always realized it could happen. He realized he could be arrested. He didn't think it was likely. He thought that the pressure in public was too great to the opposite. But he realized it could happen. But he thought if it did happen, that he wouldn't be here that long. But as the days have turned into weeks... And the weeks have turned into months. There's no hope in sight. And it's kind of crazy. He's continuing to hear incredible reports of what's going in the outside world. But inside for him, it's just not looking good. He's beginning to wonder if he's ever going to get out. It's probably best for him that he doesn't know the answer. Because the answer is no. Today we, uh, we're continuing, in fact, we're actually wrapping up this first, uh, first segment of the series that we're in, it's called Unfiltered, Capturing a True Image of Jesus. And for those of you who are brand new, this is a series about Jesus, and one of the things we talked about in this series is we all have this natural tendency, I have it, you have it, 
we all have this natural tendency to kind of recreate Jesus in our own image, kind of make him like us. So based on our life experiences, based on what we've been taught, based on flannel graph in third grade, uh, uh, based on uh, what's popular in culture, the way culture is going, we all tend to claim Jesus, kind of recreate him in our own image. And so our, our goal in this series is really to go back in time to the first century and see if we can take off some of the filters that have built up over time and capture some new images of Jesus that are truer images that flow uh, uh, out of the, one of the, the documents, one of the very first documents ever written about the life and teaching of Jesus, and we call it the Gospel of Matthew. And so in this series, um, the last few weeks we've watched as Jesus, now 30 years old, that he moves from his hometown village, a small village, 200 to 500 people of Nazareth. He moves 28 miles away to this larger town called Capernaum. It's on the Sea of Galilee on the northwest side. Uh, it's a major trade route goes through, and he launches his, his, his ministry, and his message is this epic claim that the long-promised uh, long kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God, uh, when God would come, return to his people, forgive the nation of Israel their sins, uh, restore them to power, kind of turn all wrongs to right, that that, long, that promise is very near. And, uh, and what we're going to watch today is that not only is he making this epic claim, but he's also backing it up with supernatural signs of power. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, I want you to open up with me to Matthew chapter 4. And there in your note sheet, there's a section called Unfiltered, the First Signs. And today we're going to be wrapping up this, uh, this first segment of, uh, of Matthew and preparing for our new series next week. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But anyway, um, so let's set the stage. Last week, if you were here, we watched as Jesus had mer- moved to Capernaum, makes it his home base. Uh, and he begins, one morning he gets up early. He's walking out the shores by the Sea of Galilee. And there are two sets of brothers there. He's met them before. We talked about that last week. He's, he's had experience. That he's known them from the past. But he calls him not just to follow as his disciples, but to help him launch his movement. He, helps, he invites them to be part of his leadership team. And they respond. And so that's where we left last week. And now uh, Matthew is going to pull back the camera. He's going to give us a wide-angle lens at, hey, what was life like these first few months as Jesus begins to launch his movement? And so if we'll pick it up there in verse uh, 23, and so it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, uh, this was the north part of the nation, uh, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. In other words, that the kingdom of the heavens is near. Remember, that's his message. It's it's coming soon. Uh, It's very near, and he's healing every kind of uh, disease and sickness. Now, this is interesting. This is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew, that Matthew has mentioned anything about Jesus performing supernatural signs. Now, a lot of us have known Jesus for a long time. Some of us are brand new. Some of us are just uh, kind of new at this whole thing. But probably most people know that Jesus, the claim is that he did supernatural things. But I want you to catch in Matthew, we've not seen that yet. This is the very first time in Matthew that there's been any mention of Jesus and supernatural signs. And so, what Matthew says is he's going through the Galilee, and he's sharing this message, the kingdom is near, uh, in the synagogues, and then he's, he's healing. Now, a couple of things interesting. When we go to uh, Israel, um, on our Israel trips, we, uh, we go to Capernaum um, on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, we, while we're there, we usually visit, we always visit two, sometimes we visit, depending on time, three ancient synagogues, right? So, 
We go, the, there's the, the, we, we see the ruins of the synagogue at Capernaum, where Jesus taught. Uh, this is where, you know, uh, the two sets of brothers, you know, followed him last week. We see that. Uh, we go a few miles uh, to the west and to the south, also on the Sea of Galilee. There's a, a major new archaeological dig there that's just been, it's just, Israel, it's just so funny, because anytime you go to build anything, you find something, um, which makes it very hard to build there. Um, because then they got to shut it down. And so a few years ago, they're going to build a shopping center by the Sea of Galilee there, and they dig up Magdala, as in Mary Magdalene. And it's a major city. They had never discovered it before. And so now there's an archaeological dig. And so they have discovered this synagogue at Magdala that goes to the time of Christ, first century synagogue. Uh, we go uh, north, uh, north of the Sea of Galilee to Chorazin, uh, a couple miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, we see a synagogue there. So we, we, we will visit like three synagogue uh, uh, ruins there, uh, two of which in Capernaum and Magdala actually go to the time of Jesus, right? So, uh, so this, this, what I want you to catch is that there are a lot of towns and a lot of synagogues in Galilee. According to Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, who tends to exaggerate, um, but according to Josephus, there were 200 towns of at least 15,000 people in the Galilee. Now, we don't believe he's telling the truth. We believe he's exaggerating because archaeology hasn't substantiated that. But what I want you to catch, there are a lot of towns, there are a lot of synagogues, and this is a day and age when there is no mass media. So there's no newspapers, there's no radio, there's no TV, there's no social media, no People magazine in the supermarkets. So how do you find out what's going on? Like if you have a message to give that the kingdom of the heavens is near and you need to get ready, how do you get that message out? You have to do it the old-fashioned way. You have to walk and talk, right? So Jesus, what I want you to catch, Jesus is acting like an itinerant prophet. He is operating, he's traveling throughout the Galilee, and uh, as an itinerant prophet, what we would expect is that his message is going to be very similar wherever he goes. As we read through his short stories, as we read through his, uh, his uh, very cryptic uh, uh, kind of memorable sayings, these are things that I'm sure he developed over time. He's giving them mo- over and over and over as he goes to different synagogues. He's got a message. He's like a traveling evangelist, right? So he's got a message. So, so uh, this is the picture. What's interesting, though, is that Matthew says as he is going and he's announcing that the kingdom of the heavens is near, that's good news, right? He's announcing that he is also healing, and he is uh, freeing people from demonization. Now, um, like I said, this is the first time I mentioned it. Now, just quick sidebar here. Even modern scholars who don't believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, which would be most modern scholars, okay? even those scholars will admit and concede, almost all of them will concede, that Jesus of Nazareth must have performed some sorts of healings that at least appeared to be supernatural because there's no other explanation for why these huge crowds began coming from such a great distance for so long. And so that's what um, what Matthew is going to say here. He's going to say because of these miracles, because of the teaching, people are going to come from great distance. And so in verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria. This would be to the north of Israel. And people brought to him... uh, all who were ill with various diseases 
And you can kind of picture this in your mind's eye. If we had more time, I would tell some stories and help us picture it. But just picture, you know, your, your brother's lame or, I don't mean in that way. But, you know, uh, <laughs> like, the, mo- the moment I said that, I'm thinking, like, I've got a lame brother. Yeah. And like, I got back out two lame brothers. They're all lame. Um, no, but you know what I'm saying? People that can't walk. Um, at, uh, you know, I've got, you know, I imagine these people with leprosy or these serious diseases and imagine these families coming uh, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 miles uh, trying to get their sick for, for this prophet that's rumored to have miraculous powers. And imagine those streams of people. Imagine a crowd uh, that's filled with people like this. Uh, it's quite a sight. So uh, anyway, so news about him spread through Syria. So people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases and those suffering severe pain and the demon possessed, demonized, and those who have seizures. Notice just real quickly, Matthew distinguishes between demon possessed and seizures um, and the paralyzed and, to be healed. And so large crowds, now we're going to need our map for this, all right? So uh, open your get, your, get your map, maybe you already have it, but I don't have mine, so I'll get mine. So. Uh, so let's, uh, let's chart this, all right? So uh, he says, large crowds from Galilee. So Galilee, find Galilee. It's all caps. Don't forget the trick. If your eyes are bad, take a picture and make it bigger. Oh, all right. Just saying, just saying. Uh, all right. So, so you find Galilee. Up, it's up at the north. See, it's to the left of the Sea of Galilee, all caps. So these are the large regions. And so he says, um, so news about him spread to Syria. That's not on the map, but that'd be, be, be north. Um, and then it's, and it says people, uh, da, 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 verse uh, 30, uh, 25, so large crowds from Galilee from the Decapolis. Now, find Decapolis. You see that? Over on the right side of the Jordan River, right below. Now, this is interesting. I'm going to spend just a second on Decapolis because, remember, one of my goals was take off some filters, right? Every, every week we meet, I want to take off some filters that keep us from seeing Jesus for who he was, Jesus of Nazareth, first century. I think for many of us, we think Jesus of Nazareth, we, we think flannel graph, right? We think, we think a pastoral scene, Jesus sitting there, it's green grass, he's sitting on a rock, got his 12 guys in funny color robes. And he's just kind of sitting there, you know, and so he's just kind of in the backwaters of the nation, and uh, he's sort of a remote shepherd type guy, probably doesn't understand much about life in the Roman Empire, but, you know, he's a nice guy. You know, he grew up in Nazareth. So here's, I want to blow that out of the water a little bit, right? The Roman Empire had conquered the world, and with them, they had brought, well, first when Alexander the Great conquered the, 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 the world in, the, in like 331 B.C., he brought the Greek culture throughout that whole area, right? We call it Hellenism. So for hundreds of years, Hellenism had been reaching into Israel. And so in Israel, uh, if you went to Jerusalem, uh, there's going to be a hippodrome there for the horse races, there's going to be a theater for plays, Greek, uh, Greek plays. We don't think of it like that, do we? But this is the way it was. And so the Decapolis, what's the Decapolis? Decapolis is a loose federation of 10 Greek cities. You know, Deca, 10, Polis City. Decapolis, right? Uh, the, one of the most famous ones for us today would be Damascus. So Damascus was part of the Decapolis, but it was, you know, the furthest, furthest north. Uh, so uh, most of the cities in the Decapolis were these are Greek Roman, Greco Roman cities. So not Jewish cities, Greco Roman. Most of them were to the east of uh, east of the Jordan, um, in, in an area where the Jews didn't really live very much. 
Um, but here's what I want you to catch. Right in the middle of Israel, I want you to find Nazareth on your map. Can you find Nazareth? Okay. Uh, about 20 miles below Nazareth, and, and there's not really, it's kind of hard to see. But you can see, yeah, there's a, there's a little uh, scale down there. 20 miles, so you can see how, how far it is. 20 miles below Nazareth and a little bit to the east, there was, um, was the capital of the Decapolis. Okay? Of the 10 cities, it was the capital. It's called Scatopolis. When we go to Israel, we go to Scatopolis. It is a full-on Greek city. It's got the Cardo, the Decamanos. It's a Greek, uh, it's a Roman-designed city. All the gods, all the temples to the gods, the theater and all, right in the middle of Israel, 20 miles from Nazareth. Are you with me? Four miles from Nazareth, there is a town that at one point was the capital of Galilee called Sephoris. It was a Greek city, Roman gods, theater, four miles from where Jesus grew up. Jesus grew up at probably as a stonemason. It's almost for sure he worked in, uh, in Sephoris. Huge building projects there. Nothing to do in Nazareth. Fix a couple squeaky doors. Um, 200 people, you know, how much work is there, right? So what I want you to catch is that when we think of, the, the, of Israel, don't think it's like a Jewish, just, you know, very Jewish. They think it's a very cosmopolitan in areas, uh, places full of, uh, like Scatopolis. So we complete all the, the, the largest, some of the largest baths we've ever found in the Roman Empire are in Scatopolis. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's got a theater of 6,000 people. It wasn't built to the second century, but you get the feel, all right? So that was just a little harangue on Scatopolis. All right, so we're going to go on now. So we've got uh, verse uh, 25, I think it was, so we got Galilee, Decapolis. We got Jerusalem. You see that in the south. Um, you've got Judea, all caps in the south, like major Roman province, and then the region across the Jordan. That'd be on the east side in the south. But before we leave the map, I want you to see, find the Dead Sea at the bottom. To the right of the Dead Sea, there is a city or a fortress called Machaerus. Do you see that? Okay, circle that. That's going to become important later on. All right, so... Uh, the point is, is, is Matthew kind of wraps up these first four chapters, his first intro, is that Jesus has now launched his, his major ministry, the kingdom of the heavens is hand, the epic announcement. He's, he's backing it up with these signs, um, and people are coming from great distance and uh, uh, great crowds to, to listen to him teach and hoping to catch a miracle, right? And so we kind of come to the end of this section. Now, as we wrap up this section today... I want to focus on just one big picture principle. It's going to be very important for us to understand and understanding Jesus, who he is, why he came, the kingdom, what it means to follow him. Um, and so there in your note sheet, there's a section that's called Unfiltered, the first signs of what? Right? So in other words, we've said that these, the, the first supernatural signs are happening. It's the first time we've seen that. But, the, but if they're a sign, what are they pointing to? Signs of what? And so what I want to do is just give you one big picture principle, take some time to unpack this, give us some direction for our future, and then we'll be done for today. So, um, so let's fill in the blanks. The one blank there is uh, these healings are the first signs of spring. You say, what, what? Okay, these are the first signs. Signs of what? It's the first signs of spring. Now you say, what do you mean? 
I was hoping that you'd ask that. Yeah, thank you, Andre. That's good. It took you a while, but good job. Um, oh yeah, so, so what do you mean? First, I want to tell you a story, all right? I want to I unpack a little story. Some of you be familiar with this story, but it's a great analogy to understand what these healings are about. How many of you are fans of the Chronicles of Narnia? Any Chronicles of Narnia fan? All right, so... Uh, so for those of you who are not familiar, just real quick, Chronicles of Narnia, that several have been made into movies now, uh, were written by a man named C.S. Lewis, brilliant man, and he writes, he writes seven of these, they're short, uh, well, they're, they're children's books, actually. Um, and so, uh, you know, Lewis, C.S. Lewis is, is a really bright guy. He's a professor of medieval and Renaissance literature at uh, Oxford and Cambridge, and he's a very bright guy. Um, interesting story. I heard his son and his uh, stepson speak one time. This is not in my notes. I'm probably going over 30 now, but um, I just, I can't resist his story. It was amazing. I heard his stepson speak one time, and he said Lewis had a photographic memory. And so uh, when his students would challenge him, like, I don't really believe that, he'd say, okay, go to my library down the hall and pick out any book you want and bring it back. And so he had this huge library, as you can imagine. And they, they'd pick a book and bring it back. And he'd say, okay, well, pick a page and start reading. They'd pick a page and start reading. He'd say, okay, you can stop there. And he would start quoting what came next. Now, that's what I'm talking about, right? I was like, what? I missed the line. I, I was in the wrong line. I didn't get that brain. That's what I needed. <laughs> um, I don't know how you get one of those, but I want one of those brains. I would be so bright. Um, <laughs> I just think of all the things I've forgotten. Um, all right, so uh, anyway, so, so Lewis, really bright, he's kind of agnostic, early in life, kind of atheist sort of guy, agnostic, uh, but through a series of events over a course of several years, he comes to believe that, well, there must be a God, and then he, he comes to the conviction that Jesus is uh, God, and God has revealed him, so he becomes a follower of Jesus, so he becomes sort of uh, kind of a great defender of the faith, and so on, and writes all kinds of stuff, but he writes the Chronicles of Narnia, and in there, there's all this kind of uh, hidden symbolism, metaphors about Jesus and life and all in the kind of Christian perspective. And so, in his very first book, which is called The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, I'm sure many of you read this, that these four, you know, four Eng British children during World War II, they stumble into this magical land called Narnia, mythical land, uh, through a, a wardrobe, and, uh, and when they get there, it's, it's freezing, it's like snow everywhere, it is super freezing, and what they find out pretty soon is that the reason it's freezing is because this evil uh, white witch has put a spell over all of Narnia, and so it's always winter and never Christmas, good, <laughs> what'd you say, <laughs> never something else, I don't know, um, but uh, it's always, and it's always cold, no, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's always winter, uh, and it's, but it's never Christmas, and so anyway, uh, as they go on, um, they begin, a, a rumor begins to float around Narnia that Aslan, the great lion, the son of the great emperor across the sea, he's a lion, that the, the true king of Narnia is that he's returning to Narnia to turn all things right. And so here's the thing, the first, they're, they're just rumors, but the first signs that the rumors are true is when the temperature begins to rise and the snow begins to melt. It's the first signs of spring. Now catch this. There's a lot more that has to happen before Aslan becomes a true king. 
But what we're seeing is that when he lands, the power of the coming kingdom is beginning to thaw. Are, are you with me? First signs of spring. That's what's going on. In the coming of Jesus, here's what I want you to catch. The miracles of Jesus are not just random miracles. They are the first signs of spring. The kingdom is coming. And there is a lot more that's going to have to happen before all wrongs are turned to right and all creation is restored. But we're seeing the first signs of spring. These first healings as the lame begin to walk, as the eyes of the blind are open, as the, the ears of the deaf, they're for the first time hearing, as people with leprosy are being cleansed. What's happening is like the power of the kingdom of God is breaking in to the human race. And the human race will never be the same. The kingdom is near. Right? Now, we see this later on in a very powerful encounter that's going to be very helpful for us to understand all of Matthew and the whole story of Jesus. Uh, there's a very famous story, and this is a story that I started the day with. Remember, we started the day with the story of this guy that's in prison, and he's, he's confused. He's wondering why he's there. That's a story of John the Baptist. It's a true story. And so uh, think with me. The last time we saw John the Baptist was earlier in chapter 4 when he had been uh, arrested. Now, he was arrested by the king, who, not, he's not technically a king, he's technically a, a, a tetrarch, but let me just call him king. He was, let's call him King Herod. So uh, remember, Herod the Great was the big granddaddy king who, when Jesus was born, tried to kill. When, his, when he died, his kingdom was split up. One of his sons, Herod Antipas, got the northern part of uh, Galilee and Perea. And so he was king, and so, um, so uh, he is going to arrest John. Now, what's interesting is we know from Josephus why he arrested John. And this is fascinating. According to Josephus, the reason he arrested John out in the wilderness was because John was drawing such huge crowds and his message was the kingdom of God was coming and, and Herod heard that as a military threat. Now, this is so important. Remember we talked about this. In the first century, if you say the kingdom of the heavens is coming, that is not heard as a spiritual statement. That is heard as a military, political, spiritual statement. That God is coming to tear down unrighteous rulers. God is coming to heal creation. God is coming to set all wrongs to right. And so when Herod Antipas, who understands Jewish life very well, Here's a prophet that's coming in the wilderness where rebellions typically start. When he hears that hundreds and thousands of people are going and they are hanging on John's words that the kingdom of the heavens is coming, Josephus says that he arrested John because he was afraid of a rebellion. By the way, this is going to become very important for us because if we're going to take some lenses off, Jesus is operating in that same political environment. With the same exact message, the kingdom of the heavens is near, and often you say, why is Jesus so coy about who he claims to be? Why is he not more upfront using Messiah language? Because he's in a political situation that's going to get him arrested if he does. And so John is arrested, and guess where he is taken? He is taken to the fortress at Machaerus on your, on your map. Remember I had you circle that? So he was taken there in the fortress. Now, 
this is not fitting John's paradigm of what should happen in the kingdom of the heavens. Remember what he said. Most Jews believed that when the kingdom of the heavens came, the evil rulers would be torn down. Israel would be rescued from the rulers. All wrongs would be turned to right. John has said very carefully, the kingdom of the heavens is coming. I'm not the leader. That guy's the leader. And so after he says Jesus is the leader, he's the one that brings the Kevin, he gets arrested. He gets arrested by this evil leader, and he's left to rot in Machaerus. What is going on here? I thought the kingdom of the heavens was coming. And John begins, as, as the weeks turn into months, he begins to wonder, did I get it right? Did I misunderstand? And so he is going to send messengers to Jesus to ask him, are you the one or is there someone else? But he's also getting reports of these healings. And so look what happened. And, and uh, in Matthew chapter 11, on your note sheet, so when John heard in prison, he's in Machaerus, that Christ was do, what, he, what he was doing, all these healings, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? This storyline is not working out the way it should be. Did I get something wrong? And Jesus gives him this really odd, cryptic answer. He says, go back and report to John what you see and hear. So they come up, and there's all these sick people that Jesus is healing. And he said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, John, I know this is not what you expected, but check out the first signs of spring. Why? Because in Isaiah 35, there in your note sheet, this is what the prophet said. That when the kingdom comes, then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Jesus is quoting Isaiah. And he says, I know this is not what you thought it was going to look like. I know the kingdom of the heavens, you had a picture of what that was going to look like. I get that, but check out the first signs of spring. You see? What I want you to catch is that as we go through Matthew and as Jesus heals, this is not just sort of random acts of kindness to the poor. This is the first installment of the kingdom of God breaking into human, human space, and it's a picture of what's coming in the future for us as well, when all creation is healed. And so here's how Matthew's going to structure his gospel. We just, we just went through chapters one through four, right? We'll come back to that in a second. He ends it with Jesus' fame going crazy, with Jesus going around in the synagogues, teaching the kingdom of God is near, healing people, people coming from great distance. What's going to happen next? Well, in chapters 5 to 7, he's going to give us a sample of the teaching Jesus was giving throughout the, about the kingdom. So in chapters 5 through 7, we're going to have the most famous sermon in the history of the world. What is it? It's a sample of the teaching that Jesus was giving. 
And what's going to happen after he gets done with a sample of the teaching? In chapters 8 and 9, catch this, he's going to give us 10 examples of healings and miracles. So he's going to structure you. Oh, so you, you get who Jesus is now? You get who I've claimed he is? I've told you his story? Okay, let me tell you what he was teaching about the kingdom. Now, let me give you some examples of the kinds of healings he was doing. Are you with me? And by the time we get to chapter 10, we're kind of coming to a unit. And now we're ready for the next stage of the kingdom when he begins taking his, uh, choosing the 12 and sending them out for, for phase two of this, of this whole thing. So as we, as we come to an end of this first series today, uh, I, I want to take us back and just put a bow on this, if you will. I, I want to take us back. I want to just quickly remind us of what we've learned uh, so we're ready for next week, right? So here's, here's where we've been. Remember how it starts off, the very first verse. This is the gospel, the good news about Jesus, uh, the Messiah, who's the son of David and the son of Abraham. And so he starts off by making this claim. I know it's crazy, but my claim is that the great king that was promised it would come, that the, that king is Jesus of Nazareth. And that I know it doesn't look like, but he is actually in the same way that Aragorn in Lord of the Rings just looked like a ranger, but there was more to him than meets the eye because he comes from the right lines to be the great king that was prophesied. So Jesus of Nazareth is actually the great king. He is the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. That's how he starts. And then he says, so let me tell you about that. Let me back up that claim. Let's pretend I'm attorney. I'm going to bring you my evidence. I'm going to lay it out here. And so let's start with his supernatural birth. And then he says, listen, the claim I'm making is that everything in our history as a nation, all the early chapters of Israel, it's all leading up to the introduction of the key character that's going to bring our story to an end and fulfill the great hero. And he says, let me back up. And he gives us five examples of fulfillment, how Jesus fulfilled the story, uh, fulfills the story of Israel and fulfills the prophecies. So we had five fulfillments. And then we watch as the great king then leaves Nazareth, goes to John the Baptist, and like the kings of old, he is anointed, but not anointed with oil. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit and identified as the true son of God, the true son of David, who has come to be the great king. And then he goes out into the wilderness, just like Israel had done in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, but where they failed, he succeeded. He defeated the enemy, and he comes back in the power of the Spirit to announce this epic announcement that the kingdom of the heavens is near. You need to repent and turn around. You need to do whatever is required to get ready for that kingdom. And he not only makes that claim, he is backing it up with signs that spring is in the air. And so now we are ready to say, we're ready to ask with John, well, could you tell us more about this kingdom? We need to understand the character of the kingdom because obviously it's different than what we thought. So, so what is this kingdom like? And who can be a part of the kingdom? Who is the kingdom for? And what does it mean to be uh, part of that kingdom and to live as a citizen of the kingdom? And Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. And when he saw these great crowds coming, he's going to sit down on a hill and he's going to call his disciples and he's going to say, let me tell you about the character of my kingdom. And that's what we're going to go into next week. Now, this weekend, 
we have the privilege. There are 36 brothers and sisters here at Rocky Peak. Yeah. Who, uh, that, that basically, they said, I've weighed the evidence that Matthew is giving, and I've come to the conviction that Jesus of Nazareth is Aragorn. <laughs> that he is the true king that was promised. He is a king not just of Israel, but all creation. And I want to swear my allegiance to this king. And that's what we do in baptism. In baptism, we bow the knee to our true king and we swear allegiance. And we ask you, would you forgive me of my sins? And I leave my serving the kingdom of darkness. I come into the kingdom of light. And I come under your leadership. And I go under the water to be have my sin washed away. I go under the water like, like someone being buried in a tomb. I go under to be buried that I might rise with you to the power of a new life. And this service, Saturday night, we have 14 people. that here, they're going to be baptized. And uh, so, isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah, Saturday night, you're just pulling your weight. I'm telling you, that's a good job. Yeah. So, um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray. Uh, if you're here to be baptized during this prayer or during the worship, you can come on down as we talk to you about that. Uh, and we're going to go into worship right now and uh, just go before the Lord. And then I'm going to come out and I'm going to introduce them to you um, so that we can celebrate with them this, uh, this swearing-in ceremony of the kingdom. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the life and the death and the resurrection of your son who makes all things new. And we thank you that the kingdom has come, and we are now entering in. We're part of that kingdom. We live in the, spirit, in the, in the, in the, the power of your spirit in that kingdom. And today, God, as we come to worship you, to prepare our hearts, to witness uh, a swearing-in ceremony, so to speak, of these new uh, believers, or many that have known you for a while, but for whatever reason uh, have not been baptized, and are just feeling your call to, to obedience, to, to, to publicly proclaim you as their king. We pray you'd meet us now in Jesus' name, amen. Out of the darkness and to that glorious day, and we're going to continue this journey next week. I hope you can be here next week as we uh, kick off this new series. Uh, you know, inside your program, you have these invite cards, unfiltered, revealing the character of the kingdom. Um, as is often the case, the first uh, message of this series in many ways, is the most important because it'll be laying the framework, the groundwork, the big picture of where we're going this whole series. It's just a nine-week series. We're only covering the first, you know, 10, 12, 13 verses um, uh, of Matthew 5. And so um, I hope you can be here every week, but especially next weekend, um, if you have to be out of town for some lame reason, um, <laughs> make sure you go onto our YouTube channel and, uh, and, and listen in because... Uh, I, I want you to be able, when you come back, to be able to be fully engaged and understand kind of the context because we don't have time to give it every week, right? So uh, I hope you can be here next week. But until then, uh, may the Lord be with you. Uh, may the power of the kingdom of the heavens be with you. The first signs of spring have come. In Colossians, it says that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in the kingdom. And so our job is to take those signs of spring and to make a difference wherever we go. So may this be a week where 
If you experience a growth of the kingdom in your life, may you come back hungry next week. I look forward to seeing you, that once again we can gather together as his people and pursue him with a full heart. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget prayer on this side if you need it.